Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, normally of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa, but temporarily in lovely Budapest, Hungary at Central European University. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be heading back to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, home of the UNC Tar Heels. Is that correct, James? You guys are the Tar Heels? Yep, Tar Okay. James Williams is a junior at the at University of North Carolina, majoring in economics and Asian studies. And he has a very, very impressive background. So, folks, just kind of please bear with me while I kind of go through the, uh, the resume here. Uh, I met James uh, back, uh, I think it was in February, when, we, uh, when he was teaching a spring semester class with 10 other undergraduates at UNC on China-Africa relations. They have this program at UNC where students actually lead other students in classes and teaching, which was really a fantastic opportunity. Uh, James also directed a conference in February on China-U.S. relations that was held at uh, both between Duke University and the University of North Carolina uh, that was focused on Chinese grand strategy in the Asia-Pacific and Africa. And at that conference, he had some of the biggest names in Sinologies, or Sino-African studies at least, Deborah Braudigam from Johns Hopkins, uh, David Shin uh, from George Washington University, and Margaret Lee also from UNC. Uh, all of those have been on our show in the past, but it's a very impressive background. James is also a Mandarin speaker, and he is on his way this summer to be interning at uh, Goldman Sachs in the investment banking group there. So uh, welcome to the show, James. That was a a nice, uh, long, impressive resume that you've got there. Well, thank you very much. I'm I'm glad uh, to be here. Well, we're going to be talking about with James today since, you know, it suits well that he led a conference on U.S.-China relations that also touched on Africa. Uh, We're going to talk about U.S.-China-Africa relations with a particular focus on East Africa and even a more specific focus on Ethiopia. Kobus, you and I have talked about Ethiopia several times over the past year. If you recall, I think it was about a year ago that we had some folks on from Human Rights Watch who talked about China's um, investment in the telecom sector there that is contributing to state repression. Uh, That was Human Rights Watch. We've also talked about uh, some issues in Djibouti, uh, where where both China and the United States are trying to establish a military presence, where the United States obviously is already there. Uh, But it really came up in the news uh, earlier in April, April 16th to be precise, when Wendy Sherman, who uh, was on a visit to Addis Ababa, she kind of gave some uh, what a lot of people just thought were alarming comments about the state of democracy in Ethiopia. She said, Ethiopia is a democracy that is moving forward in an election that's coming up in May that she expects to be free, fair, and credible. Let's take a listen to Wendy Sherman, U.S. Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs. Ethiopia is the fastest-growing economy, one of the fastest-growing economies on the African continent. Uh, Ethiopia is a democracy uh, that is moving forward in an election that we expect to be free, fair, credible, uh, and open and inclusive. Uh, in ways that Ethiopia has moved forward in strengthening its democracy every time there is an election, it gets better and better. Kobus, when I heard this, my mouth almost dropped. I mean, just it just drives me crazy. And the reason why it drives me crazy is because when officials of Wendy Sherman's rank typically go to Africa, one of the things that's their major talking points over the past, I'd say, five years has been how China, of all countries, is the one that supports undemocratic regimes. In fact, there have been comments 
from the United States Department of State about concerns that China is helping Ethiopia with undemocratic mechanisms such as the ZTE Huawei deals that are being used for deep packet inspection for network control and as they roll out their wireless networks. So to hear Wendy Sherman kind of say these kinds of things about democracy in Ethiopia, it's just baffling. What was your take on it, Kobus? Yeah, I was somewhat dismayed. <laughs> you know, kind of, I mean, Ethiopia Ethiopia is notorious for being very illiberal. Um, you know, it, it's its government is seen as, as being, being, you know, kind of it has it has one of the, the kind of worst press freedom ratings in the world. For example, it um, imprisoned a whole bunch of bloggers and journalists who are still in jail um, for a year now. And in fact, after after she said it, um, the Washington Post actually published an op-ed criticizing her, like really strong op-ed criticizing her, um, and a bunch of other people also picked. up that up. Um, and then a week later, they seem to walk it back a little bit. The State Department put out a statement calling for greater press freedom in Ethiopia on the, the one-year anniversary of a bunch of bloggers that got arrested. Um, but I mean, you know, kind of she, you know, because she was so high up in the State Department compared to, you know, a lower functionary who put out the statement. Oh, no, no, she's so, very you know, high they up. They pulled it back, but, you know, not really. Yeah. So the, the op, the, it's actually not even an op-ed. It's an editorial from yeah, the Washington yeah. Post, which is the United States' irresponsible praise of Ethiopia's regime. My favorite uh, headline came from Al Jazeera. They had a, commenta- a commentary there called U.S. official praises Ethiopian, quote, democracy. Rest of world begs to differ. James, you've done a little bit of, of, of research into Ethiopia. It's, it's a topic that must have come up in terms of democracy at some of the the, the course you taught as well as the 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 grand strategy discussions you had at your forum earlier this year. Um, Tell me a little bit about the positioning of what you think the positioning of the United States is and how it is similar or different than what China's doing in Ethiopia. Sure. Um, And I would just like to briefly preface this. And when you were talking about how the U.S. can sometimes speak out of both sides of their mouth, um, one of the things, one of the greatest impressions that was left on me um, when I was doing a semester abroad a year ago in in, uh, China, in Harbin, China, I was doing a, a class, a one-on-one class with a professor at the university there about Sino-Africa relations. And one of the, the consistent criticisms that she brought up and that I found in the literature that we were reading, which was Mandarin, which was in Mandarin, um, was sort of the U.S. promoting this democracy, you know, um, you know kind of human rights, criticizing China on, on similar issues. Um, and, and then at the same time, the U.S. was supporting governments in Egypt and in the Congo, for example. Um, so that is definitely sort of a point of weakness that I know that the, the, sort of the Chinese angle tends to exploit um, when, when criticizing a Western view on Le- legitimately, legitimately so, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, I would definitely say legitimately so. And um, I think that was one of those things I was not very aware of going into this course. Um, and while, you know, there was a lot of things that we kind of this banter that I would have with my professor about, um, you know, the non-interference policy, for example, China's non-interference policy, and we wouldn't always agree. I thought she made very, very legitimate points about how the U S seemed to be, um, somewhat, um, maybe dubiously, uh, or kind of misleadingly, uh, always championing, you know, human rights and good governance, et cetera. Um, but as it relates to Ethiopia specifically, um, I mean, I, I will preface this. I'm you know, not an Ethiopia expert by any sense of the word. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> um, but I know certainly um, China would view Ethiopia very much as a place where business can be done. And I think you've brought up on your show before that it's um, receiving a lot of investment, particularly in manufacturing and in 
particularly in sort of the, the shoes, you know, manufacturing of shoes. Um, and then in terms of, um, you know, from the U.S. perspective, it seems to be very much a place where um, there is kind of a, a political battleground, per se. You know, it's a, a place where uh, the African Union is located there, uh, the African Development Bank is located there. So I think currying political favor with Ethiopia um, certainly serves to benefit the U.S. and is part of the reason that, you know, maybe they're, uh, you know, Wendy in this case is um, is, is trying to, to win over the the affections of Ethiopia through her very positive outlook uh, on Ethiopia when the, the true reality may not be so optimistic. You have a um, career as a diplomat ahead of you. Uh, <laughs> you know, Kobus, let me, let me, let's kind of pick up from where James was going with this, that th- taking Wendy Sherman's comments, one way, one filter to put this through is that Wendy Sherman sees everything that James has outlined, that it is that China built, in fact, the African Union headquarters. Huajin is the big shoe manufacturer that's investing massively in, uh, in Ethiopia. ZTE, Huawei, is, is building out the mobile networks there. And maybe the United States feels that it is being left behind in this growing, fast-growing economy. But on the other hand, there was no reference to China. Typically, when American diplomats uh, are in this part of the world, they don't shy away from criticizing China. Do you think that she was kind of framing the U.S. position in Ethiopia against China? Or is there an implicit? I didn't see that. Or do you think that the – or another option is, maybe not do you think – that the United States really values Ethiopia strategically in the war on terror that it continues to to, to pursue aggressively, particularly in East Africa, where Somalia remains a threat, um, and in the Gulf of Aden and off the, the, the coast there. So what do you think she was trying to achieve, and do you think China factored into the, into her thinking? I didn't particularly pick up China in, in what she said. Well, what my... my my assumption or my understanding was that it also was playing off some of the complications that that the that democratic the democratic government is sitting with in, in relation to East Africa. Um, you know, um, I mean, William um, John Kerry was was recently you know kind of in in Kenya, but you know, despite that visit, the the relationship with Kenya remains not not super happy. You know, kind of after after because the the US criticized the Ken, the current Kenyan government. You know, kind of quite stringently um, in the past because of the um, of you know allegations about human rights abuses before. Um, so that relationship remains troubled, and at the same time, um, you know, kind of because the US is come out in the past for human rights. Um, and then, you know, kind of, and because the Obama administration has linked um, gay rights to human rights, that puts the U.S. in this interesting position, um, you know, kind of because East Africa is very homophobic. Um, so, you know, Uganda notoriously, you know, kind of like was, was about to to uh, put a, a kind of a death penalty law, you know, against homosexuality on, on the books. Um, and... Just today, William Ruto, the the vice president of, of of Kenya, said that there's no no place for homosexuality in Kenya. So it, you know, kind of, I think the the U.S. is is aware, or the government is aware, that they're sitting on a kind of a knife's edge in the sense that you know, kind of, they have to that they have to um, show up strategic interests in East Africa, um, and at the same time they have to, you know, kind of they're, they're sitting with in, in an election year or soon an election year where gay rights issues are going to be big. So, you know, kind of, I, it, it seems to me that 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 also plays into this kind of you know, trying to look for another ally in, you know, kind of in East Africa. One, uh, you know 
and preferably a non-Islamic one, um, who, you know, kind of, who can then be painted as some kind of a vibrant democracy slash growing economy. And I think, you know, kind of Ethiopia fits that bill. Yeah. You know, James, each country has a conflict between its interests and its ideals. Uh, and, th- and you brought up, for example, U.S. support in, in Egypt, in Djibouti. Uh, Howard French himself, who's the, the, the famous Sino-African author, he's written on how U.S. support in Burkina Faso and other countries which are undemocratic in Africa ultimately undermines uh, U.S. public opinion or the popularity of the U.S. In, in, in Africa and around the world. But certainly the United States has been a longtime supporter of Bahrain, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. So these are countries where its interests are at stake, most notably security and oil. And then it talks about its ideals, which are, you know, the, you know, democracy, freedom of assembly, you know, freedom of speech, you know, these wonderful things that it oftentimes criticizes China for in Africa. China, conversely, has its same contradictions. On the one hand, it talks about win-win in Africa, mutual benefit, when we're seeing many of the infrastructure deals uh, and much of the financing that's going on in Africa not necessarily benefiting Africa and much more to the benefit of China. So China has its interests, it has its ideals. The U.S. has its interests, it has its ideals. I see in Ethiopia both of those countries, their interests and ideals come crashing together. What's your thought? I definitely agree with you. Um, I think you, you. I think you. You painted a pretty good picture in terms of um, you know Ethiopia being a space where, and Kobus, you mentioned this as well, where there's a lot more of a potentially um, a strategic military interest in the nation, uh, and then as well as a sort of a you know generating you know or currying political favor, and then trying to paint this this country as you know kind of a a model for what the U.S. is looking for in terms of being democratic and respecting human rights, et cetera. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, I think that uh, Ethiopia also serves as a very good, uh, you know, business outlet for China, as well as a place where it can also carry political favor. And I know, um, you know, whether it's through financing the, the African Union building or, uh, you know, building airports and, and some other big ticket infrastructure projects in Ethiopia, China is also garnering its own um, sort of uh, is currying its own political favor um, in the country. Um, but no, I would definitely agree in terms of um, each, you know, has its own, um, is kind of talking out of its kind of two sides of its mouth at the same time. It has its own set of interests and then in, in some ways kind of undermines those interests or, or, or does things that fly in the face of those interests, uh, which, you know, I would also say is not probably something that's terribly surprising in uh, international politics in general. There's a lot of you know doing one you know kind of saying one thing and and doing another thing that's probably a pretty um, you know a, a pretty usual thing that occurs kind of in these international dialogues or international exchanges and so also I wouldn't necessarily be too quick to hyper criticize one side over the other because essentially China's doing it the U.S. is doing it we're probably most countries in the world are doing it. Um, so, yeah, you know, I wouldn't but, be hypercritical. Okay. But where, where, I would, where I would, you know, kind of slightly disagree with that is that I think the, you know, kind of Chinese in, Chinese engagement with Ethiopia goes over a, a wider range of issues. You know, kind of so, I mean, they have all of these commercial, um, you know, commercial interests in Ethiopia, um, including what seems to be, you know, kind of, I'm not 100% sure what that exactly means, but the recently um, Lin Sung-Tien, uh, who is the Director General of African Affairs for the Chinese 
Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. He recently said that they're thinking of Ethiopia as a hub for Chinese products. So I assume that also means like a, a transportation and, you know, kind of logistics hub, I guess, um, you know, kind of into into wider East Africa, um, maybe also into Central Africa. But like, you know, kind of it seems that they, there's much more of an economic interest there, you know, kind of whereas the U.S. seems to be compartmentalizing security and economic interests. Um, I don't know if I'm oversimplifying that. No, well, I guess, James, you, I, on one hand, I absolutely agree with you. Every country does it to some extent, uh, some more than others. But I guess what makes the United States different is that the political establishment in the United States literally says, God blesses America. The political establishment in the United States really is confident that it is better than other countries. And the reason is the evidence of this is only the United States issues, as far as I know, uh, a, hum a, a global human rights report where it literally kind of evaluates every country's human rights record. Ethiopia, I don't think to its record, does that to the United States. Uh, in Vietnam, where I am, certainly doesn't do it to the United States and whatnot. So I think China now is starting to do this as a way to kind of hurl some, you know, some criticism towards the U.S. But the point is that American foreign policy has been predicated on American exceptionalism. And I think this is where the problems come down, is that when the United States puts itself out there as an exceptional democracy that is literally better than other countries, and yet comes down to the level in its rough and shod politics, which actually makes it, as you pointed out, like everybody else, that dichotomy is very, very hard to swallow. And the reason why Wendy Sherman's comments for me just roiled me was because she didn't even read her own U.S. State Department human rights report on Ethiopia. Let me just give a couple highlights here just so people can see the contradiction that's going on. The government, controlled by the ruling EPRDF, restricts media freedom, arrests opposition members, constituent parties of the EPRDF conferred advantages upon their members, mm -hmm. the parties directly own many businesses, and were broadly perceived to award jobs and business contracts to loyal supporters. There were reports that authorities had terminated the employment of teachers and other government workers, and they suppressed the media. Uh, Freedom House ranks Ethiopia is not free. And I guess it's this kind of glaring hypocrisy that seems to be different than other countries. The no-strings-attached policy from China, say what you will about it, as awful as it can be, because it overlooks tremendous human rights violations. At the same time, it doesn't seem to be duplicitous in the same way that the U.S. policy does. Am I being too strong, do you think? I mean, I think that's definitely a fair criticism. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I, I would also say that, the, you know, part of the reason maybe the U.S. is able to be so vocal and is able to have um, kind of such a large audience is that it has been, uh, you know, a power for such a long period of time. Now, if you allow China to be a power, you know, for, for such an extended period of time as the U.S. has, maybe they would be similarly very strong uh, in terms of kind of putting their ideologies out there and, um, you know, therefore it would, they would end up becoming a little bit more like the U.S. in that way. So that one thing that might, if we're looking at China and uh, the U.S. specifically, that might be a little bit unfair is, is in terms of the development of, um, you know, both U.S. foreign policy and China foreign policy in terms of them being a major player on the world stage. And the U.S. has just been there a lot longer, has a lot stronger track record, um, and, you know, has a much more established record of exactly, you know, what the kind of positions they're taking. So it's much more easy to sort of then criticize them when they do something that flies in the face of what they're saying. Whereas China just hasn't had that same period of time in sure. which to establish sort of a foreign policy track record. So 
Well, I agree with you, but I also think that there might be a, it might be a little bit of not totally comparing apples to apples okay. when we're talking about uh, you know China's foreign policy stance and That's the U.S. A, foreign policy. That is stance. a fair fair retort. Hey, Cobus, let me put the last question to you here. You are a student of of, of soft power and public opinion and media in Africa. Well, I get all worked up over the the hypocrisy, as James pointed out, fair or otherwise. Um, at the same time, what do you think? How do you think this plays in in the African perception of the United States and, and China? Do you think that broad public opinion recognizes this inconsistency, or is you know is Jay Z and Akon far more powerful in in terms of conveying American soft power in Africa? And frankly, economic power is the only soft power mechanism that the Chinese still have. It's a difficult question to answer. Um, I think I think this. Strong perception in you know kind of in Africa that uh, a quite cynical perception of the U.S. in Africa occasionally, um, you know, a, a kind of a talk one way, walk another way kind of perception, um, and that I think does come up. You know, kind of in moments like this, uh, you know, kind of people will say, well, you know, that's the way it usually goes. You know, but at the same time, I think a lot of the the one of the complications of all of this is that a lot of what we think of as human rights standards. Um, standards of, of, you know, kind of human rights treatment of other people or like, you know, kind of standards of, of human rights governance, those also come to us in Western slash American language, you know, kind of, so I think one of the, one of the difficulties is that human rights as a concept is, you know, kind of is such an intrinsically Western concept that to a large extent, China, one of the problems that China faces is that it essentially is playing on a field that the West created, you know, kind of, and the West, you know, because the West stands or falls by its own rules, you know, so, so it set up the rules and occasionally it doesn't live up to the rules, like in this case, um, you know, kind of, and then it gets criticized for not living up to its own rules, but not living up to your own rules and not living up to someone else's rules are two different things. Um, and, you know, kind of, I think that, you know, that contradiction also lies at, at how these these issues get, get received in, in Africa, um, where occasionally China would get dinged for not living up to these rules. And then, you know, kind of people from another kind of political dispensation, Africa would say, well, these rules are Western anyway, you know, kind of, so that's kind of, it, it leaves you at this kind of impasse where what ends up happening is, okay, so who gets a job and who makes money? Um, and, in, you know, kind of in that issue, China always wins, right? Kind of like in, in the money-making, job-providing, port-building, African Union building, and now the biggest, you know, building the biggest are the highest building in East Africa, in Addis Ababa, all of those stakes, China wins. Um, you know, kind of because they, they are so, so visible, they're changing the landscape, they're actually transforming these economies in a, in a real lived way. Um, you know, kind of, and so I think to, to a large extent, you know, China is then frequently seen as this player who can really change something, while the US is essentially a big cloud of talk. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think I think that's where it comes down frequently. Well, the elections are in May, so we will actually have an answer to the question as to whether or not these are more free and fair elections, and Wendy Sherman will be judged based on those remarks, I suspect. Uh, hey, James, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Just a reminder, James is a junior, soon to be a senior. Uh, I think you're just about, what, uh, a month away, if not less? Uh, at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, uh, and uh, a budding Sino-Africa slash finance slash U.S.-China slash Mandarin kind of scholar? Yep, that's okay. the direction I'm heading in now, and we'll see where it takes me. <laughs> Excellent. And, and, and James, where, where, like, where do you see yourself going? Like, what, what are you interested in, in, in specializing? 
Sure. So I'm definitely kind of interested, uh, kind of interested in merging my interests in economics and finance, and then international affairs and Chinese specifically. So there's a, a kind of a whole broad array of things I could potentially do. Um, one would be like to work in the World Bank. Um, the other would be maybe to join the State Department and do more diplomacy. Um, and I could also see myself doing something kind of more purely private sector. So. Uh, maybe continue to work in investment banking and then uh, one day be able to broker deals between China and the U.S. Um, I'm still sort of figuring out exactly which path I could go down, but any of those would be potential options. I hear that the Asian you infrastructure – You might for Wendy Sherman. <laughs> you might work for Wendy Sherman or there's some, job open, there's some job openings coming in Beijing at the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank very soon. So <laughs> I, you, I'd, actually, I'd actually very much thought about that to be honest with you and I'm considering writing my senior thesis about sort of China's strategy and reforming the international developmental finance system and Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank would be a great so you know, uh, Bricks great Bank, example of that. The AIIB, I mean yeah. for your generation I think there's going to be a whole, whole new category of jobs in Beijing, especially for a Chinese speaker. <laughs> hey, listen, right. thank you so much for joining us on the show. One of the things we like to do at the end of every show is kind of connect our listeners to some of the social media outlets that our guests participate in. Are you on Twitter or anywhere else that people can follow what you're reading and writing? I am actually not on Twitter. Um, so <laughs> I've, I'm sort of taking a stand against Twitter. Um, <laughs> I, I know most of my millennials are not, are not doing the same. So I'm not on Twitter. Um, so I unfortunately don't have any, any formal outlets right now to sort of share my thoughts. Okay. But um, I will get back to you if I, if I start a Twitter or a blog anytime soon. That's one of the more surprising things in, our, in all six years of our podcasting, Tobis, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> you'd have a junior <laughs> university not on social media. Uh, nonetheless, thank you so much for joining us. Cobus. you are not a millennial as far as I know, but you are, no, in fact, me. on social media. Yes, I'm on Twitter. Twitter at Stadenesque, that's S-T-A-D-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can also find me on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm about 25 years outdated of a millennial, but yet still all over social media. You can find me on Twitter at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Uh, also, you can again find us on Facebook. Kobus and I are updating the page almost 24 hours a day with the latest uh, China-Africa headlines. Uh, there's a great discussion going on all the time from people all over the world. And also, if you want to kind of stay on top of China-Africa affairs, we've got a fantastic newsletter. We mail it out every Monday with a selection of the top China-Africa stories for the week, also some uh, research articles. Uh, James, are you getting that email? I am, yep, every Monday. Excellent. So uh, we have at least one of our, uh, our followers here, Kobus. And then, uh, of course, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can follow us on, St on Stitcher. Uh, check us out on the China File website at chinafile.com, which is the excellent website of the Asia Society. Our podcast is there every week. And, of course, just look for us under China Africa in iTunes, no matter where you are in the world, and we'll come up. And we'd be so grateful if you could leave a comment, uh, good, bad, or ugly. But it does uh, help other people find our program uh, by you leaving a comment. So we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.